If you want to rank a piece of content for SEO, you probably do some keyword research and then figure out exactly what phrases you want to rank for. But Brendan Hufford, founder of Road Sprint, said that's no longer effective anymore. Would you rather have this like weird Chrome extension-y clickstream data governing your content strategy or I don't know, talking to your customers? And I think like that's a weird controversial thing for an SEO person to say because it's counter to what's worked for the last 10 years. It's why Brendan came up with the content IP framework, which is one part of his four part growth methodology. In this episode, you'll learn first the four parts to Brendan's growth methodology. Second, how to drive a ton of qualified signups using the content IP framework. Third, the process behind Brendan's growth sprint process. And then fourth, how being prolific can give you a leg up in your career. Before we start, I've created a free power-ups cheat sheet that you can download, fill in, and apply Brandon's content IP framework. You can go to marketingpowerups.com right now to get it or find that link in the description or show notes. Are you ready? Let's go. Marketing power-ups. Ready? Go! Here's your host, Bradley John. We're going to be talking about marketing power-ups, specifically a framework that you came up with, the content IP framework. You mentioned this already a little bit about SEO, uh, and specifically you mentioned that uh, in the, your website on growthsprints.co, that the old way of doing things with keyword research uh, to generate demand is not as effective as before anymore, uh, which sets up the, the framework for the content IP. But can you talk a little bit about uh, why that is? Why is it? Why is it the old way of doing keyword research no longer effective? So I think we have to like look at the data first. And when we look at keyword research, first of all, this is a lot of well-meaning uh, strategies are still built on this. Why? Because it's worked for the last decade, right? You could go into Ahrefs or SEMrush or whatever, export these, key, pull up all these keywords on a given topic. What you do is you sort the column by like highest volume and lowest keyword difficulty. And they're like, cool, these are our like money keywords. These are really easy to rank for, supposedly, uh, and also really high volume. And you just start making posts about each one. And that is how a lot of like well-meaning SEO content strategies have been built over the years. And I think first we have to like, how do these like third-party tools know how many people Google this per month? Google doesn't tell them. So how do they know? Well, they buy clickstream data. Clickstream is this like really nice, easy word for all of your Chrome extensions are tracking you and selling what you click on to other companies and your Google searches. So uh, I think, uh, I don't know if it was Kaspersky or what, but like all these antivirus tools do the same thing. They'll be like free antivirus tool, but then they track all your Google searches and it's buried down in the terms that you agree to like let them, like anyways, that's where all this stuff comes from. And I recently posted this on LinkedIn, this great example of like, if I was using the SEO tools, I would make some huge mistakes. Like the SEO tools still say 500 people a month are Googling, will Elon Musk buy Twitter? So does that mean that if I wanted that traffic, I should write this like big post about the pros and cons and what I think Elon would do and whether he'll buy Twitter and why he should and why he shouldn't? No, Romley, because he did. Like it's passed. It's already happened. But these SEO tools, like this clickstream data that they've bought from all these places um, that they're like very ambiguous about is six to 12 months old. So it's great. Don't get me wrong. I love keyword research. It's great for like apples to apples comparisons of like, are more people Googling this or this? That's awesome. Um, but letting that lead your content strategy, 
Would you rather have this like weird Chrome extension-y clickstream data governing your content strategy or I don't know, talking to your customers, right? And I think like that's a weird controversial thing for an SEO person to say because it's counter to what's worked for the last 10 years. I just don't see that old way working anymore. And Growth Sprints, the agency, consultancy, whatever we want to call it that I run, literally exists to help SaaS and software companies navigate that kind of new game. That's fascinating. I think that's a lots of really good insight there. I mean, you're right. Like a lot of SEO um, consultant, they still, you know, I mean, it's still, you, you mentioned Apple to apples, but they're, it's not as effective. Google has been updating with their helpful content updates and there's been some changes in the space. And that's where this birth of this content IP framework comes in. Can you talk about what is this content IP framework for people who haven't heard about it before? Um, and how did it, how did it come up for you? Yeah, so I've always been obsessed with like uh, a lot of, you'll hear a lot of overlap. I, I also hate it when like marketers act like they invented stuff. It's like you didn't invent <laughs> that. Like uh, StoryBrand is a great right. example. Everybody loves StoryBrand, Donald Miller. Mm. Um, he literally just wrote a book that was Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey and gave no credit for like 10 years. He would never mention Joseph Campbell. I'm like, you literally ripped off the guy's life's work. Mm. Like, don't do that. Um, but... So I hate it when marketers, so I'll like name drop stuff. Like, I think that's really important that we like cite our sources as marketers and also like give credit to what we've been inspired by, you know? So I looked at, this came from like maybe a couple different areas, right? Like my own personal experience of buying into marketing campaigns that were able to put words to problems that I had and describe them better than I could, Right. Um, there was this like fitness program that I bought into and it was definitely geared towards guys like in their thirties. And it said, there's this one line in there where he said, I remember when my body used to feel like a weapon. And I was like, I remember that. Like I was competing in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and doing a lot of like sparring and fighting and kickboxing. And I remember when I like used to physically feel like I was a dangerous person. And I didn't act that out, but like there is a virtue in like being dangerous and then choosing not to be right. And like, I like instantly resonated with that. And I'm like, shut up and take my money. Doesn't matter. Right. (laughs) Um, I remember Beard Brand came out with a uh, campaign around scent confusion where they were like, your cologne smells like one thing. Your beard oil smells like something else. Your hair products smell like something else. And I'm like, they do. They actually all do smell like random stuff. They're like, that causes scent confusion. And I'm like, that's like some made up marketing stuff. Like that's a made up problem. (laughs) I don't know that that's real because it doesn't really. It all just blends together in like one smell. But and I was, oh, and then they're like, you also have your body's like natural like scent and that causes a lot of issues. And I was like, okay, cool. And I actually bought, I was like, why doesn't my deodorant, beard stuff, hair stuff and cologne all smell the same? Like I should just do that. Right. And that's a very marketing thing. The first one is like a very good, like describe the problem better than your customer can and they'll throw money at you. The second one was like just very clever observation of like they could make a problem when maybe there necessarily wasn't one, you know, necessarily wasn't one. The the other piece is like so that was kind of the first piece is I was like connecting the dots and you can only do this looking back. Um, There's a great Steve Jobs quote about like, you know, you can only see those dots connected looking backwards. So that was a part of it, like just having the experience and like being a marketer. So I'm always like hyper aware of the marketing that's happening to me and around me. Um, The second piece was uh, just the social media process of how I've started sharing and growing LinkedIn, you know, the audience that I have on LinkedIn. 
um, and building out that process. I needed to figure out something other than just writing random stuff. And I knew I didn't want to attract an audience of people like me. It's a huge mistake that marketers make. They don't attract customers. They attract right. other marketers. And it's in mm. my case, like I sell into SaaS and software companies and I work with other marketers. So that's great. But I don't want to work with the SEO people, right? There's sometimes like my point of like companies I work with have an internal SEO person, but that's not who I wanted to work with, right? Like I want to build an audience of decision makers and other types of marketers and things like that. So I had to like be really thoughtful and we can walk through like what the actual framework is in a second. But kind of like this third area that I got this from was just um, chatting with my friend Jay Akunzo. I've gotten to be good friends with him. He's launching a new program this year that I'm absolutely going to pay him as much money as I can to be a part of. I don't think it's expensive, but I'd probably just give him all my money if I could. Um, but like getting to be friends with him and like talking through this idea of like truly developing IP wasn't something I had thought of a lot. Um, and I noticed a couple other marketers doing it really well. They were doing a really good job of naming the problems. I call it like codifying the problems that their customers have even when their solution doesn't necessarily solve it. It's just giving words and phrases, usually two to three words um, to kind of describe this problem. And then it creates this almost uh, like zeitgeist feeling where it's like, this is now the word that we use or the phrase that we use to describe this thing. Um, whenever I see somebody post something and everybody's like, yeah, 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 not new, not new, not new. This has been around forever. Um, a good example of this is like the phrase dark social. Right. Dark I was social. the first person that was like, this is total BS. That's just word of mouth. <laughs> right. Exactly. This is dumb. And then right. more people say started saying dark social. And then I saw a guy who worked at Chili Pepper was like the director of evangelism and dark social. And I'm like, what? Maybe I'm the problem. <laughs> Maybe they just gave a word to a thing. Right. And what they were giving words to was the fact that like we can't track word of mouth really well with like in any, in any sort of attribution, self-reported or software-based. Word of mouth is hard to track. And if your business is generating a lot of its business, it happens a lot in like enterprise and stuff like that, word of mouth matters. Reputation matters, brand. Brand not meaning your visual brand, but like the things people say about you behind closed doors, those things matter a ton. And like they now have a phrase to describe this like hard to track thing. Right. Like what I just said was really long winded or we could just say dark social, dark social. Right. Yeah. And the company who popularized dark social as a phrase doesn't do anything with dark social. They run Facebook ads. It doesn't matter, though, because they when they when they're the ones that are naming the pro, like literally giving the name to the problems people have, the solution kind of becomes irrelevant. And I think that's where I started being like, all right, there's something around a lot like. Uh, if you're familiar with SaaS and software, there's a guy named Andy Raskin who wrote my favorite Medium post of all time. It's called The Greatest Sales Deck I've Ever Seen. Um, and he talks a lot about strategic narrative. And a lot of SaaS and software marketers are very familiar with like category creation, right? Where it's like, we're not email marketing. This is active campaigns, stab at it. They were like, we're not email marketing. We're customer experience automation. Mm. Huge miss, right? Like <laughs> total miss. First of all, nobody knew they were email marketing. Don't invent a category if nobody knows that you're like the thing you actually are. Um, my point is that like we think that this IP has to be around our products and our solutions. And I would argue it doesn't. And it's far easier to create IP 
around problems. And that's where this like content IP came from of like our kind of content strategy should very much be focused around this IP that we create around the problems our customers have. Um, and not just ones, here's a good example, not just like jobs to be done problems, right? Like I learned about jobs, like I actually, I understood it as a concept. I actually figured out questions to ask around jobs to be done from your book. Your book was like my go-to of like, <laughs> I flipped to the back and it was like, oh my God, there's like just a list of them back here. This makes everything <laughs> so much easier. I was like trying to right. figure stuff out. Anyways, like that's where I like really got into jobs to be done was from your book. And like, I think that's valuable, but I still want to like let people zoom out a little more that it doesn't, again, doesn't have to be about the jobs that our product and solutions solve for people what they're hired for. It can just be about the things they're dealing with every single day. If we can give a name to those problems, all of a sudden we have more content to talk about. It doesn't like people are constantly like everything has to be direct response, right? Like, well, how are we going to get them to buy our product if we're just talking about these other problems they have? It doesn't matter. Like when they feel like you understand them better than anybody else on the planet, when it comes time for them to need your thing, you are the only you're the only option. Right. And that makes a huge difference. Before we continue, I want to thank those who made this video possible, 42 Agency. Now, when you are in scale up mode and you have KPIs to hit, the pressure is on to deliver demos and signups. And it's a lot to handle. Demand gen, email sequences, rev ops, and even more. That's where 42 Agency, founded by my good friend Camille Rexton, can help you. They're a strategic partner that's helped B2B SaaS companies like ProfitWell, Teamworks, Sprout Social, and HubDoc build a predictable revenue engine. If you're looking for performance experts and creatives to solve your marketing problems at a fraction of the cost of in-house, look no further. Go to 42agency.com to talk to a strategist to learn how you can build a high efficiency revenue engine now. You can find that link in the description below. Let's jump back in. Yeah, let's dig into it. I, I think it's super interesting that you brought up dark social. I mean, I, I've heard it for the first time last year. I was like, what is this? And you, it really is fascinating. I think we're seeing it more. I'm seeing it more and more as well. But yeah, let's 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 dig into it. Uh, what this content IP framework? Cool. So I think we have to do a couple things. Number one, like we got to get crystal clear on who our customers are. We have to start seeing the marketing that we've done in the past as like just maybe one data point. Good example is keyword research. Treat keyword research as one data point. It is not what leads our strategy. It is in there. It can be important. But again, it's just one channel. So let's just look at that anecdotally. Um, the other thing that I think about a lot is like we're, we're looking at this as like, again, a content strategy. It'll do the SEO stuff, but it also has to do three or four other things in the business. So it can do SEO, but it also has to play on other channels. And it also has to support all the parts of... I don't want to call it the buyer journey, but like the whole, like the full funnel approach of like acquisition, activation, getting them actually sold on a closed one deal or however it grows, whether it's sales or product led, um, getting them to, you know, account expansion, retention. If you can create content that touches all of those things and everybody, sales can use it, customer success can use it, product can use it, all the different types of marketers can use this content. All of a sudden, we do a couple things. Uh, number one, like we're talking about, you know, power ups. You bulletproof your career when you can do stuff like that. This is an absolute superpower. Being able to create content that does all of those things. Um, 
And then again, like I said, focusing on the problems versus like generic education content. The content IP framework really looks at a couple different things. Um, so we're going to st like start with the most important part and then like break out exactly how to do this. So the IP is really just naming this thing, like giving a name to an issue that they have. So a good example, I, I like to attach examples to these. I worked with a uh, digital asset management company. Uh, if people aren't familiar, uh, it's a DAM, DAM for short. Um, a DAM is like what you use next after you kind of like can't manage Dropbox or Google Drive anymore. You just have too many digital assets, videos, images, what audio files, whatever. You just have too much going on. It's just untenable to deal with this anymore. There's too many people touching it. Nobody can get what they need. Cool. So we created IP around two different things. Number one was this idea, we, what we call like relay race marketing. It's an absolute problem for so many marketing organizations, specifically e-commerce is really bad. Uh, also for designers where it's like, all right, the one person hands it to the next person. The next person takes this asset, gives it to the next person. They give it to the next person. And what happens is the more baton in this relay race, the more baton handoffs that you give, the more likely that baton gets dropped, right? And then we created the content framework that I'm about to explain in a second. The other one we talked about is like uh, commerce chaos or content chaos. We kind of like we're up in the air on what to call it. But again, it's just this idea of there's just so many assets floating around. What do we do with all of these things? How can we possibly manage it, right? Everybody's using the wrong thing. That image isn't right. It's old, like just all these issues or even just like making your designer be the bottleneck. Can you imagine being a designer in like an e-com company where you need like 20,000 pieces of creative and there's like user generated stuff and influencer stuff. And it's just a hot mess all the time. Um, so once we have that problem and we name that problem, we look at a couple different things. Um, kind of like a, maybe give it five steps, right? The What the problem is and why does it matter, right? What is the first roadblock to that problem? This is really key. Everybody skips this. They always like want to solve the initial problem and then they move on to a new topic. It's like, yeah, yeah, but now that you've solved this or now that they're aware it's a problem, what's the first roadblock they're going to run into? For example, relay the counter to like relay race marketing is like allow people to self-serve in this like digital asset management solution, right? But how do you, the roadblock is how do you teach your organization how to self-serve? That's a, there's change management there. Like that's hard moving. Same thing as like change management, meaning like for anybody that's not familiar, like I say this not because I'm smart, but like I just learned this a year ago. Uh, essentially, whenever you move, like there's buying the software or buying the thing. And then you have to like change the whole organization to a new way of working. Um, at Active Campaign, we started using Asana. Huge, epic change management that had to happen across the country because so we're moving from like Google Sheets and Airtable to Asana. Um, so that's what I mean by change management. But that's the same thing true when you're with digital asset management. If you're going to move to a self-serve model, we need to create content that opens up the thing that like, yeah, you're going to run into a roadblock. Here's how you fix it, right? And then some sort of, so first, what the problem is, why it matters. Uh, what the first roadblock is that they're going to run into, a template or framework to help them think through, message internally about that roadblock or the problem itself. Uh, number four is a customer success story about that specific problem. And then finally, a like high level, interesting roundup. So a good example would be like for digital asset management, just to stay on that kind of thread, 
um, that company doesn't work with um, Jeffrey Star, who's a, a very prolific like social media personality and YouTuber uh, who does makeup releases that sell millions of dollars in like a day. Right. So it'd be cool to do like a high level, interesting roundup of and like find out some insider info of like, how do they manage all that creative? Like, what are they doing right now? They might not use even you. We don't know what they're doing, but like just create an interesting roundup. I did this where I got some like cool insight into how Airbnb like actually built its SEO. There's a lot of people writing articles about like how Airbnb won with SEO. And it's all like outside looking in stuff. And you you've worked in tons of places. I've worked inside of tons of companies like it's never that easy where it's like, oh, they did these five things. It's always a mess. And what I found was the mess. Somebody told me about it. Now I share that as like, it's in my newsletter. It's a social post. It's all these things. People love that inside information. Like if you can find that inside information for this last kind of like piece, that high level interesting roundup, that's really valuable curating that. So that's kind of how I think about content IP, not just of like name it, but then like, giving you a content strategy. And if you can think of four or five of these, all of a sudden, four or five of them multiplied out by five, all of a sudden we have, let's just use a round number. We have five by five is 25. If you think I'm like drawing a grid with my hands, um, 25 of them means I now have at least one social post every Monday for the whole year. Cause you could repost the same stuff you shared six months ago. Right. Um, great. Now I have six months of weekly emails done. Perfect. Right. And all of a sudden this starts to create a really intense feeling from your customers of like, Oh, they get me. Somebody gets me. Mm. Right. And I think that that's really, really cool. I said some, I like mispronounced something to my wife the other day and she's like, what in the Gen Z TikTok are you talking about? <laughs> Cause like I come to her with all these phrases that I like pick up from wherever. And she's just like, what is that? And I'm like, oh, I just said the word wrong. It's not like a new, he's always thinking I'm like naming things, but it's very right. true. Like when you, I mean, I don't know if you've experienced this on like TikTok or wherever, but like you see a couple of videos about something and then TikTok's like, oh, you like that? You are that now. And they show you like a thousand, but like it creates that like very intense feeling of like, oh, okay. Now I have words for this, right? Now I like really understand what this is. Um, so, yeah, I don't want to take people down the rabbit hole there. But like, again, if you can give people words for the frustrations they have, they will throw money at you and the solution matters so much less. And this is where I think we as marketers can really put a flag in the ground and be like, this is what we do as marketers. And I think it just helps us differentiate from sales, because I think for a long time, especially in my world of SaaS and software, that Venn diagram has like slowly become like a circle where it's like marketing is expected to convert a very serious amount of revenue. And it's like, well, if all of our leads are qualified and they're all already ready to buy, what do we need sales for exactly? Right. Aren't we also <laughs> doing sales? Like, I'm, I know I'm right. being snarky, right? Mm -hmm. But that's a fair question, right? Like let marketing do marketing. Um, so I don't know, that was a lot of me monologuing. Does that resonate? Oh, it's good. Yeah, I think I, I, a few things really resonated with me. I think focusing on the problem, but when you, you said something around like having a shared language, once you have that shared language with your audience around the problem, they're more likely to trust you. They're more likely, oh, you stated, you created a problem. Like you, you brought up this example with the uh, scent confusion. Uh, yes. you, you yourself said, yeah, that makes, even now I'm thinking about it. Like that makes sense. Like you don't, 
if you're if vanilla you put on vanilla on your beard and you know orange on your something else it might clash with each other uh you created this problem now you're there you're essentially priming uh people uh your audience to potentially a solution even though you're you know you're not necessarily like oh now buy now necessarily but you're like not you're getting the audience to say what's next what is the solution that you're getting them to ask that particularly is that what i'm hearing yeah 100 percent. not just and it's again it doesn't even have to deal with like what we're solving like this is true demand gen i've worked in search for the majority of my career and that's what i would call like demand capture people are raising their hand saying i have a problem and you're like cool over here we have the solution right come over here um Demand gen is the other side of that. And I think they go hand in hand. They're, you know, twins, best friends, whatever, um, where we also have to have this piece where we are generating demand where it may not exist and just staying top of mind. A good time to do this is right now, right? So right now, semi uncertain economic future, a lot of layoffs happening in my space in tech and like budgets are getting tighter. The CEO and CFO are like really reading through all the contracts. Like they probably haven't in a little bit. And all of a sudden, like a lot more people are just doing research. They're just making their short list for when budgets come back, when they can get headcount, like whatever the thing is. So, or, you know, even like if you're B2C and you're a clothing company, like people are Pinteresting everything. They're saving everything. They're making, all right, cool. When I get, you know, whatever, I'll buy this. I'll check that out. Like, People are making their shortlist. They're not not doing research right now. This is a great time to become their favorite, you know, to become the brand that they trust the most. I think it presents a really unique opportunity for us. Yeah, uh, I got a lot of inspiration from Alex Hermosi's book, $100 Million Offers, where he talks about naming your offer and like the, the power of rhyming and the power of two or three words at most. Um, and he even walks through like, he gives so many examples in the back of that. It's like the last chapter of the book. So it's probably like the one people read the least um, just by nature of that. And it's like, I don't know, I think it's really powerful stuff. So I get a lot of inspiration from that. Um and then I just, honestly, it just takes time. Like you're doing the work of a copywriter. So you're just trying to think like, I'm Googling synonyms and like all like this it. other stuff. And you land on something like relay race marketing is good or like content chaos. And it's like, all right, cool. Like that's chaos. a very easy to remember phrase. Uh, it's something people would use of like, you know, we have this like, like even if they're internal, they're like messaging each other in Slack. Of like we got to like handle this like content chaos we're dealing with right now. You know, we got to stop doing this relay race marketing thing. Um, so I think that that's, I don't know, you just got to sit with it and like practice. Um, if you want the shortcut, I guess like there's some ideas definitely in the book. In terms of results, like I know you have a bunch of case studies. Uh, people should check out growth sprints that, that co. Uh, you have a bunch of content there and, and some case studies. Any any results you can share uh, with uh, with the audience as to it could be around relay race marketing or other companies that you you are currently working with to apply this framework that you can share. 
Yeah, so I've actually only started rolling this out to clients maybe in the last like couple months. Um, this is one, this is something, so I have like a, a larger like four part framework and content IP is kind of part of it. Um, and this larger framework has changed over time and it's kind of changed based on like what I see working, what I don't see working and then what people are asking me for. Like I just had enough clients that are like, Hey, we hired you because we follow you on LinkedIn. Can you explain like how you do what you do there? And I'm like, you get asked that four times and you're like, this is a deliverable. This is a right. thing people want to pay for, you know? So then I'm like, all right, cool. So I used to have, I'll give you a good example. Um, the way I think about like my framework overall is I have like traditional SEO, like product and keyword led, I call it content led SEO. Um, then I have revenue focused content, which flips the model. That's me using what I call like the three S strategy, talking to sales, success and support getting ideas from them, talking to customers if I can, usually as a, you know, uh, an outside person, I don't get to talk directly to my clients' customers, but I can talk to sales success and support and get a lot of ideas. Um, and then I had one in there around conversational marketing. I brought conversational marketing into an agency I was at previously where I was like, they, everybody's got drift. Why are we not helping them with drift? We could, our, our goal is to help them make money. I know we're here to do like SEO and ads. Why not also do drift? So I learned drift. I would argue I am, top 1% of the world at Drift. Romley, nobody's clicking chatbots anymore. Like people are kind of <laughs> like, it's kind of, we're kind of over it a little bit. And you know what? The only thing people are clicking chatbots for is to talk to a person. It came back. Mm, like I remember Drift was like, nobody wants live chat, like blah, 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 like no, whatever. It's back. People are just like, I just want to talk to somebody. I just got some questions real quick. Sorry. Like, Hey, want to know some things? I don't, don't give me some sort of flow. Like they're just hitting, you ever like call the support line and you're just like mashing zero yep. over and over. And you're like, I just want to talk exactly. to somebody. Um, that's what is happening. So I was like, you know what? Let me not set these chat bots up for them anymore. It's not worth them paying me for. It. I'll just give them my playbooks. I built them out in uh, this software called voice flow. I just give them to my clients now. And then they can run with them if they want. There's still some like really cool stuff you can do, but it's not like the conversion channel it was before. And then instead of that, I took conversational marketing out and I put demand focused content in. And that's where content IP lives. That's where a couple other things live. That's like really fun and exciting. And people are asking me more. And it's made my offer like more of this like blended offer where it is content. It is search. Um, there's stuff in there about authority building, but I also build out a really cool content distribution strategy, not just like a, here's all the places to post your link, but like, what does a mature program look like for that company? Um, so there's a lot of cool pieces in there. The content IP is kind of just one of them. Um, and I think it's a good lesson for any marketers of like, the closer you can have your ear to the customers and to the ground. I think in a lot of companies, there's a lot of well-meaning marketers. Like I remember when I was at Active Campaign, like I just couldn't talk to customers. We had like a customer marketing person and it's like, we have like 150,000 customers. What do you mean? I kind of went rogue, Romley, honestly. Like I went rogue and just like found my own. I'm like, who do I know that uses Active Campaign? And I found like 10 people that I knew. And I'm like, cool, you're my customer advisory board now because these jokers won't, <laughs> let, won't let me talk to anybody. I love it. Like, what do you mean? They're like, well, they don't want to be bothered. That's such a lie that your customers don't want to be bothered by marketing. I wish some software company would be like, hey, you're kind of a power user of our product. We would love to involve you in product decisions and in our content and help promote you. Especially, it's just easier when you're in MarTech, right? But like, 
there's a lot of opportunity for that. Um, and anyways, my point is this offer changed over time, but content IP is just kind of like one part of that, like larger four part framework. So the content IP thing is still new. Um, and it's demand gen. So it is slower. It is more like canvassing. It's more like we'll see it come up in like a self-reported attribution down the road where people are like, oh, you know, I followed you on this social platform or on, you know, wherever. Um, transparently, like I've been using it for myself. That's where it came from. And that's LinkedIn has generated half of my pipeline uh, over the last year. Uh, which I'm thrilled about. Like most people assume like, oh, qu you quit your full-time job. You run this uh, consultancy now. Like I'm assuming most of your work comes from referrals. And that definitely does matter. Uh, and is definitely the case. But I've been really, it's been really wild. Like what it has built for me. Like, like I think it's at like 7 million plus impressions in my analytics for LinkedIn right now um, over the last little bit. And like it's grown quite a bit. Um, the overall framework uh has been really, really cool. There's, I have a bunch of like case studies. It's like, my website's kind of obnoxious. There's only three pages uh, and spoiler, two of them are basically the same. Um, but the one, the clients that I'm like most proud of on there, if you like check out the homepage, the clients that I'm most proud of uh, are the ones where uh, in this case, we actually didn't do content IP because this happened previously, but it became like a blended piece of authority building content distribution, revenue focused content, and then some of that like traditional SEO keyword research. Um, one of the good examples on there, there's one right on my homepage that shows like, and again, I like to use as anonymized stuff as possible and versus like, you know, using, um, I don't know, like somebody's actual Google Analytics screenshot. I prefer to take stuff out of third party tools as much as I can. Sometimes I'll use Search Console. But there's one example on there of like a company that has, uh, I'll just like, 51,000 organic uh, searches or, you know, site visitors per month. And that same effort has also built uh, like 500 links to that website. I have an updated one uh, of that same thing. So we built kind of like we had a content strategy. We executed on it. This content strategy did a number of things for the company. Remember I mentioned earlier, like it should do more than one thing. So this content strategy, uh, and it's not anything fancy. I'll just, I'll, put the answer ahead of the explanation. It was a glossary. What? People are like, nobody's impressed with that. When I say like, I don't, yeah. Romley, I did this really amazing thing. It was a glossary. People are like, yeah, yeah, I know. Like change the channel. Hopefully people are still listening. But like, you know, like that's not an unheard of thing. Everybody's always looking for secret sauce. It's not. But when we were thoughtful about this glossary, this glossary had a lot of what is searches on a very technical topic to an audience that was traditionally like mark, you know, they're a technical audience. So they're a little marketing allergic. They're not, they don't want you like throwing some like uh, featured blog images in there from Unsplash or like something. They don't want any, no whiz bang. No give whiz bang. Info, <laughs> give me a GitHub link or like whatever, embed some code, that's it. And we built out this glossary and kind of tested it out. And it was pretty small at first and it resonated and was, bringing in like over $100,000 worth of traffic every single, like if they were to pay for that traffic in ads, it was over a hundred grand. And we're like, all right, there's something here. So it expanded and it expanded. We kind of stair-stepped into it. Eventually, and what we realized it was a bunch of, it was uh, for a DevOps company, we realized like a lot of these developers would hear a phrase in a meeting or reading something or doing their job. And then they'd Google, what is this? And then they'd find this company. 
And then it built talent pipeline for them. So they, in a very competitive industry, now had a pipeline of talent who thought they were cool and trusted them, right? Of like technical people. Um, it drove revenue for them. It drove a bunch of backlinks for them because half of the people Googling what is were like really just looking for a resource to cite. Um, and it did like a bunch of other stuff. Like it was that multifaceted content. And again, like sometimes it's not that secret of a strategy. It was again, a glossary, but it did so much for the company. Um, organic ended up being like their main channel that drove a ton of revenue for them, allowed them to IPO. So it did a bunch of stuff and it was really successful. It's probably like one of my favorite examples. Um, but I'm excited for the near future where I see companies executing more on the social side of it, on the content IP side of it, where they're, we're giving them the strategies to do content distribution and content marketing. We're giving them the strategies to do the demand capture from search. And then we're also giving them the strategies to do demand generation on social. Those can and should all, we've always said it for years, like that these teams should talk to each other. The good thing is like, it's just me. So that it is talking to each other. <laughs> and why wouldn't I share all of that? You know, it's a much, much better like blended strategy. I love that. That's such a great example. People can find it at Road Sprints, that CEO. I want to shift uh, focus now uh, and talk a little bit about careers before we wrap up. Uh, you've been in marketing now for six years, but before that you were a teacher and you said, you know, marketing is a lot of around education. So I would bundle that into, uh, into your, into your experience. that's relevant. Can you share a little bit about like, uh, a power up that's helped you in your career, uh, in your marketing career, that's really like level you up, uh, quicker than if you didn't have that. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the, the big thing that I came away with was like, and we mentioned this earlier, uh, we can get a little more tactical. This is something I advise for everybody who's looking to like break out in their career um, is this idea of like, be so good, they can't ignore you. This, uh, there's a Cal Newport book uh, with that title. And I think a lot of like me, I like heard the title. I'm like, yeah, yeah, got it. Huge mistake. That like book has so much more depth to it. Um, highly recommend reading it. But it was just this idea of like, how can I be so prolific? How can I create so much media? Um, how can I do a project that people are like, everybody knows about whether they like it or not, they're not going to be able to like miss it. So I did this like 100 days of SEO uh, project where every single weekday for 20 weeks, so five times 20, um, I created one blog post, one YouTube video, and one podcast episode. That was an absolute game changer. Uh, transparently, I only made it like halfway through before I like really burned out. It turns out that's a lot more work than I thought it would be. Um, and I had a full-time job at that point working at a design agency as the SEO director, but that got me my next job. Those YouTube videos still drive people to my like courses and things, uh, for SEO for the rest of us, which is what hundred days of SEO became. Um, so that like the power up of teaching and having to just be fearless, like just being able to get in front of a camera and go. I give so much credit to me being able to close deal. Like I don't have any sales training. I've never studied sales. Uh, I take that back. I've studied sales a lot, but not like, um, I never like sat down and like attempted to get an education in it. Uh, and a lot of that is just me being able to 30 seconds before the call, I am cleaning up some mess of yogurt my kid made out in the hallway. 
And then it's just like the two snap rule of like, and I'm good and I'm on and I'm dialed in. And that's very much from teaching of like something insane just happened and you get a three minute passing period to gather yourself and deliver that again and make it better. And like Mm. that sort of stuff, like that training, it's almost, I would, I would, it's not the same as stand up comedy, but when you are a high school teacher and you're like teaching the same thing a bunch um, you know, like five or six periods a day, you almost get like material. So I remember uh, anecdotally, I had this student one time, he was in first period, and then he transferred to the lat to like eighth period class. And the guidance counselor sent him to eighth period. And he's like, here's my new schedule. They said, just come twice. And I was like, oh, all right, just I guess sit somewhere. So he sat down and I started teaching and he like knew the jokes I was going to say because he had been in first period. And he's like, get them. Get him, you guys, listen, listen, listen. Get him with this one, Huff. Huff, tell him. And I'm like, God, he already knows the jokes. And, that, and that, that was the moment where I'm like, oh my God, I'm developing material. Like I have these jokes that I've like written in the margins of the, the teacher's edition and stuff. I'm like, I like, and then I taught that for like six years. You know, you develop that sort of thing. You do the same thing on sales calls. You know what resonates, you know, the stories, you know, the most interesting things, you know how to describe stuff and speak to it. So I think like that teaching experience of being like really on my toes, being forced to be charismatic on the spot and then also like developing material. um, I'm very fortunate. I would definitely I would definitely consider that to be like a big power up. And then even prior to that, like if we really want to like go deep into the the therapy of it all, uh, it was just from moving around a lot as a kid. Like moving around when I was a little kid, every two years I moved uh, up until high school. Um, And that sucked because I didn't have any long-term friends, but I got really good at making new friends and having to be outgoing. I would say I'm like very naturally an introvert. I just want to be left alone to do my work. Um, And, but I have become this like ambivert, uh, which is both, which most of us are, but like I have this like very like outgoing type of like extroverted personality in different situations. A lot of that came just from moving a lot and having to make new friends. It was sink or swim. Um, So those kind of power ups, I think, translate a lot into the work that I do now and any modicum of success that I've had. Well, the conversation went in places that I actually didn't expect to, but it was so much fun and learned so much. Did you even think about Send Confucian until today? You can check out Brandon's work on growthsprints.co or follow him on Twitter and LinkedIn. You can find those links in the description and show notes. Thanks to Brandon for being on the show. If you enjoyed this episode, you'd love the Marketing Power-Ups newsletter. I share the actionable takeaways and break down the frameworks of world-class marketers. You can go to marketingpowerups.com to subscribe and you'll instantly unlock the three best frameworks that top marketers use hit their KPIs consistently and wow their colleagues. I want to say thank you to you for listening and please like and follow Marketing Power Ups on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. If you feel like extra generous, kind of leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave a comment on YouTube. It goes a long way in others finding out about Marketing Power Ups. Thanks to Mary Sullivan for creating the artwork and design and thank you to Faisal Kaigo for editing the intro video. And of course, thank you for listening. That's all for now. Have a powered update. Marketing power ups. Until the next episode.